I come this morning on a premise that what I do here is to show and explain in clear terms that uh, even the smallest, youngest child can understand what the Word of God says. So many try to say what the Word of God doesn't say so that they can deny what it truly is saying. But I'm here to tell you the, the reality is, is that let's don't reject what it is saying. Let's at least look at what the Word is saying because the reality is then you have to decide whether you want to believe it, follow it, or not. So many people want to find many different reasons why they don't have to believe this, why they don't have to follow this, and one of the ways they do is attacking the very Word of God, saying, one, that it's not inspired, that it's not God's Word. It's just a bunch of uh, fables and myths put together. But the reality is, is that if we honestly take an honest look at what it says, then we have to decide. So I hope you come with that premise this morning, that you come to look at the Word of God, hear the Word of God. And it is my heart's desire that once you hear the Word of God, that you will choose to be obedient to it, that you will choose to follow it, and go out from this place as a changed people. I want us to look at a verse this morning, John chapter 1, verse 14. And that verse uh, is so much to unpack this morning. I think one, uh, at least one of our Sunday school classes did that this morning. And uh, hopefully uh, we will uh, be able to add to that, strengthen that. Because in this verse, there is so much that we need to understand about the Christmas story. John, writing in his uh, latter years, after the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke had been written, had been distributed, and had gone around, and believers uh, had heard the story and seen the story of Christmas as told especially by Luke in chapter 2. John wanted to make sure that we understood the, the significance of Jesus' birth. And so let's take a few moments this morning before we share together in the Lord's Supper uh, culminating the, the true reason why Christ came. John starts off here and says, And the Word. And the Word. John has explained in the previous verses that the Word is God. If you'll look back up at verse 1, if you have your Bibles with you, it says God, uh, says, um, let me get there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we come to understand what John was trying to imply by saying that Jesus, calling Him the Word, what we understand is that Jesus is God. This word means to, to express the exactness, to express the very consciousness and the uniqueness of who 
God is. The idea is, is that, that just as you would take a pencil and write a word, Jesus is the expression of who God is. Over in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, the writer of Hebrews expressed it like this, and he, talking about Jesus, is the radiant of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Folks, you can say whatever you want to about Jesus, and a lot of people say a lot of things about Jesus. That he was a good man, that he was a prophet, that he was uh, morally right. But you cannot come away from the Bible without understanding that the Bible declares that Jesus is the Son of God, is God, has all the power that there is in God. Because He is God. Paul, writing to the Philippian church, says that Jesus thought it not robbery to, to put aside His his godliness or his divinity, so to speak, to take on flesh. And so Paul in his writing, John in his writing, Jesus in his own words makes the declaration that he is the Son of God. And so as we come to this Christmas time, when we celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we cannot deny that it was not just a mere child that was born, but it, that it was God that came. So it says, the Word became flesh. I'm flesh. You're flesh. This body that we're in is fleshly and driven by fleshly Desires that are driven by the sin nature. But when it talks about that Jesus came, the Word came and became flesh. It wasn't that He entered a body, but that He being God became flesh. That He is a 100% God, 100% man, and He became existing in time and in this space in which we live in. He became flesh. For God to become flesh. In our Sunday school class this morning, we talked about the definition of a miracle. A miracle is something that is impossible for man to do and can only be done by God Himself. The only way that God could become flesh, become man, is a miracle of God. I want to tell you, as humans, that cannot possibly happen. It is a miracle that Jesus came and became a human, took on flesh. And part of our belief, part of our faith, is that we say and make a declaration that Jesus, being God, the Son of God, came and became a human. But folks, be careful there. Be careful because when we say that He became flesh, we think that He became like one of us. But Jesus being the perfect, He was 
the human that God, when He created us as human, He intended us to be, who followed Him, who worshipped Him, who were pure to Him. He was without sin. So while the book of Hebrews does tell us that Jesus is able to identify with us and, and at all points was tempted, He was without sin. And so He became flesh. He became the human and expressed and represented what God, when He created Adam, what He intended Adam to be, one who would follow God, be obedient to God, love Him with all His heart and with all His soul and all His mind and give Himself to following the Heavenly Father. And so we have the Word, God. Became flesh, became a man. My mind cannot fathom all that, but I know that that's what the Bible is teaching. And then it says, and he dwelt among us. The word dwelt there is the idea of taking a tent and pitching it and staying for a while. Some of you invite others to come over. What would happen if you invited me to come over and when I came, when I got there, I pulled out a tent in your front yard and just pitched the tent there and stayed there for a while. The very fact that he uses this word dwelt among us, he tabernacled among us, reminds us that this life here is temporary. I tell you what, some of us are so busy trying to build permanent places here in this world when it's temporary. Temporary. Reality, what he, he really teaches us is that really all we need is temporary housing. All we need is, is temporary uh, uh, things to take care of us here on this earth because we're only going to be here for a little while. Again, in Hebrews, it says we're just passing through. Abraham understood that he was just a, a person passing by. Father, I, I, I'm so glad to understand that, that this isn't it. There's far more. It says He dwelt among The very idea, God, the Word, the very expression of who God is, the Son of God, would take on flesh. Oh, in my mind, that means He is King, He is Lord, but the idea is that He would have fellowship with us. That He would would sup with us. And that closeness. Got an invitation yesterday to, to go sup with a, a friend tonight after we get through singing. I'm glad it's going to be after we get through singing. And I'm looking forward to eating, but more than, than eating together, I'm looking forward to fellowshipping together telling stories and enjoying uh, uh, the, the, the company of one another the idea here is that Jesus has come and he wants to dwell among us he wants to, us to fellowship with him he wants us to have a relationship with him he dwelt among us and then John says and we saw his glory continue with that thought of 
of the tabernacle. Do you remember in the Old Testament when God's people gave and gave abundantly to the point that Moses had to say, stop bringing stuff, and they put the tabernacle together with all the fine linen, with all the gold, the silver, and the brass, and all the, the rubies and all those things, and made a beautiful tabernacle tent for God and the Bible talks about how that God in his Shekinah glory came down and put his presence in that place so that the people would know that he was dwelling with them. John says, listen, when we saw Jesus and all that he did, and all the signs that he performed and the words that he spoke, we saw the very glory of God come down and tabernacle with us, dwell with us, stay with us. We saw His glory. The glory of the only begotten from the Father. Now if it wasn't clear enough that this was the word that has come, John says, listen, this glory, this glory that we saw that came down and tabernacled among us, this is the glory that came down as the only begotten from the Father. We see that expressed over in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten Son, the only one. We saw the glory of the only begotten of the Father. John is saying in this one phrase, he says, we saw from the very birth of Christ and how he came in a supernatural way, the very fact that he came and ministered here on the earth for that three and a half years, doing so many miracles, John says at the end of the Gospel of John, that if I told you, if I wrote down all that he did, the world could not hold the books. He gave so many signs. It says all that he did in that time frame, especially as he came and died on the cross, following the will of his Father, was buried, and on the third day arose again, showed the glory of the only begotten of the Father. In other words, he did the very purpose he was born for as Tammy was singing a while ago he came he came knowing he was going to die can I submit to you those of us who are believers we are also begotten of his glory he has purpose for us for our lives to bring glory to him the very fact that He saved me brings glory to Him. The very fact that He cleansed me of my unrighteousness, my sin. The very fact that He took me off the road of hell and put me, as, as Paul says in Ephesians, and seated me in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He uses me to bring glory to Him. But it's because of the glory of the only begotten Son, Jesus and what he did you see we have to connect the birth with the death burial and resurrection of Jesus for the story to have any meaning and so he ends this thought with with this phrase full of grace and truth 
In our class this morning, we were studying the, the miracle of the, uh, the, the changing of the water to the wine, and Jesus told them to fill the, the barrels, basically the jugs of water, holding 20 to 30 gallons of, of water, to fill them to the brim. Fill them up so full that it almost looks like the water's about to spill over, but yet it still holds it. Jesus, when he came, was full to the brim with what? Grace and truth. Everything that he did, every word that he spoke, every miracle that he performed was out of that grace giving to those who do not deserve it. Think about it. Everyone that, that he performed a miracle in their life, they didn't deserve that. He did it out of, their, out of his grace. Everyone that he spoke to and told them about the kingdom, they did not deserve that. But he did it out of his grace. Every word and action was full of grace. Oh, how I long that everything that I say and everything that I do is full of grace toward others. Doing to others what they don't deserve. In other words, when he came in the flesh and dwelt among us, and John saw his glory, what he is saying is that Jesus came and demonstrated grace, the purpose of grace, God's grace toward us. He did what we could not do in forgiving us and washing away our sins through his blood on Calvary's cross that he shed so that we might have forgiveness. It was through his grace toward us. He was full of grace. I'm so glad he is full of grace. Because it could have easily said he is full of judgment. He could have easily came and obliterated all of us, put all of us in, in the chains of the very depths of hell, and he would have been righteous in doing so because we deserve that. But he came full of of grace so many people are saying give me I deserve give me folks I want to tell you I never want to receive what I deserve For we are all sinners in the need of God's grace that's the reason why the apostle Paul says by grace are you saved through faith in Jesus Christ it also says not only is he full of grace, but he's full of truth. So many of us get wrapped up in the debates. I know many of y'all last night watched every word that, that the, the Democratic Party's uh, contenders had to say last night. And last week you were listening to every word that the Republican Party contenders had to say. But folks, I want to tell you, most everything they said wasn't the truth. They told you what you wanted to hear, that they might get you to get a vote. But folks, and not necessarily that it was all lies, but folks, I want to tell you, you can't trust it. 
folks, everything that Jesus said is true. Because why? He is full of truth. Now, if you don't think Jesus spoke the truth, then you have to come over here, take your little pen knife out, and take that verse out and cut it out. Remember, our premise is that we look to see what God's Word says, and then we decide if we're going to follow it or not. The Bible says, the Bible says Jesus is full of of truth. That means everything that he said was truthful. Everything that he did was truthful. It demonstrated the very truth of God. Who he is, what he has done, and what he wants to do in our lives. He's full of truth. He is the one that we can depend upon what he says. Well, let's be quiet. Friend, there are times he says things that that we don't enjoy, that we don't like, but it's still the truth. It doesn't change the fact that it's truth. And he brought the truth to us. The only way he could do it, the only way he could do it, being the Word, the exact expression of who God is, was to take on flesh, come like us, one of us. And tell us. Is that not what Jesus did on that night that Nicodemus came to him? When Nicodemus said, we know that you are a God. Jesus said to him, let me tell you something Nicodemus, let me tell you the truth. You must be born again. That's the truth. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Not only must you be born from, from being born of water, but you also must be born of spirit. Not only are you born physically, but you are born of God if you are in the kingdom of God. And I'm so thankful at age 17, I was born again of the spirit of God. Because Jesus told the truth. And out of his grace, I understand the truth and believe the truth. Jesus came so that the truth might be shared with each of us. The question is whether we believe it and respond to it. It's one thing to believe it. A lot of people believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that what He said was true, but that doesn't mean that they come into the kingdom of heaven. No, you have to make a commitment to it. You have to follow it. You have to, to go after it. And so Jesus, the Word, God Himself, became man, fellowshiped with us. His glory was revealed and shown for who He is, carrying out the will of the Father as the only begotten Son. And he came full of grace and truth. Have you truly experienced that grace? Have you come to know that truth? Allowing it to transform your very heart and life. That's making the connection 
of the birth of Jesus to his death, burial, and resurrection. Let's pray. Father, in these moments of invitation, how I pray that you have taken your word through the power of your spirit and penetrated our hearts, confirming in many hearts the very truth that that you have changed us, that that grace has covered us, that we understand the truth and we have committed ourselves to that truth of who Jesus is. Father, it's very possible there is one here today who has never had that moment in their life where they came to Christ. And as the Spirit speaks to them this morning, Father, I pray that they'd be willing to come to a place in their life where they'd be willing to turn away from the things of this world and turn to Jesus Christ, believing that He is God, the Son of God, that He came and died on the cross, living the perfect life, paying for our sin, and that He was resurrected on the third day. And that's sufficient. That's all that is needed for salvation, for eternal life. Father, I pray they would call on the name of Jesus today and be saved. Father, I pray they would come and let us help them in that moment of decision, in that moment of faith. And then, Father, as you have spoken to believers' hearts, maybe they need to come and kneel here at the altar. Maybe they have decisions that they need to make public. Father, do your work, and we praise you, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In these moments, would you respond? Would you come?